Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Church, good morning. morning. Excited to be here with you. My name is Corey. If you're a guest, welcome uh, to the family. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Good to be your uh, teaching pastor for today. And I feel, I I regularly feel insignificant when having to to get up and and preach. And um, and I'm going to tell you what, the book of Revelation is daunting. Uh, It is hard. I had planned originally to spend five weeks in study before we hit the series. And with the capital campaign and shifting some things around, uh, I got about two weeks uh, worth of studying prior to today. I spent nine hours uh, reading two weeks ago, and I made it through 34 pages of the commentary that I had, one of the three commentaries we had picked out as an elder team to read. It is just a heavy, dense book. In the first seven verses, he quotes the Old Testament, six different books out of the Old Testament in the first six verses. So what do you do with all of that? You look at David Seden and you say, you're welcome, because he's the reason we're in the book of Revelation right now. <laughs> He saw it necessary for us to go through, and, and in that, and with that kind of giggle in mind, the purpose uh, of going through the book of Revelation is not because we think the world is coming to the end. We're not going to scare you. We're not going to preach a bunch of outlandish things that people have read into the book of Revelation. Rather, what we're going to do is we're going to simply point to the reality that Jesus wins this thing. And so the whole title for the book of Revelations is simply that, Jesus Wins. We had a few different titles we thought about going with. We were going to do Revelation. The S is silent for all of you. They put an S on the, back, on the end of Revelation. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation, just a singular Revelation. We thought about, what was it, naming it? <laughs> Name it I didn't mention this the first sermon. Naming it Revelation. This is a joke. We did Lest We Turn, so we thought about naming it Revelation. Lest We Burn, but it just felt <laughs> a little too chaotic and harsh for the kickoff of a series. Uh, I wanted to personally name it like Revelation, the Bible's victorious battle cry over Jesus's triumphant victory over sin and death. But Jeff, the master marketer that he is, just went with Jesus wins. And so that's where we're at in the book of Revelation. The book is written to reveal who Jesus is. Okay, it's not written for a bunch of what's called juxtaposition, where you read yourself into the book, or you read your timeline into the book, or you read your own thoughts or ideology or your own race and ethnicity into the book. The book was not written to you. It wasn't written to me. Not initially. The book was initially written to the early church to empower, to encourage the early church in the midst of incredible um, persecution. They were being killed in many, many different ways. We'll get to that maybe in a little bit. The book was not written so that we could look at capitals being stormed and we could blame presidents or vice presidents for being the red dragon or the antichrist. It wasn't written so that we could look at the vaccine right now and say, oh, that's the mark of the beast. No, your cell phone's the mark of the beast. No, gluten is the mark of the beast. None of that stuff is in there. It's not in there. It is not written for that. It was written to the early church, for the early church, and by extension, it has been written to us to reveal to us who Jesus is and what Jesus is most certainly going 
to do. The book of Revelation, the reason that we are in it is so that whenever we preach through this book and teach through this book, that you would have such a crystal clear picture as to who Jesus Christ is standing in full victory that the idea of any other false god in our culture would simply seem ridiculous. You would just know who Christ is. And so I've got a few notes here for you. I feel wildly inadequate to be the one up here kicking this off, and yet at the same time, it is how God has ordained it. And so the big idea, not on the screen, is the title of the sermon series, Jesus Wins. He 100, 100% most certainly wins this thing. The thing that I'm going to get into that I find it necessary for us to understand the story of God, there's a few things I feel as if I have to unpack. And so I'm going to get into some of the things. Pastor David told me I can't go all theologically crazy, but i got to hit a couple things that I think will help us understand how to settle into this book together as a family. For the next 20 to 25 weeks, we're going to spend in this book. And listen here, for every one minute one of your pastors preach, you could spend an hour talking about that chapter. 45 hours in chapter one, and it would be inadequate. There is so much to learn from this book. The hardest part is not even preaching it, it's discerning what not to preach. How do we not get into certain things? And so we, one of the ways we do that is by not getting into a bunch of cultural uh, nonsense. We're just going to preach the text. When in doubt, preach the text. That's what we do. <laughs> At heights. And so I'm going to start with the purpose of the letter. And we're going to get into a few different things, some words you're not used to hearing, and hopefully it'll serve you well. So the purpose of the letter, we're starting Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 1. We're going to have to skip around a little bit, which isn't my favorite thing to do, but I think we have to for today. Revelation 1, verse 1. If you're ready, say ready. ready. All right, here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his Servants, we're going to stop right there for just a moment. This is the the book of Revelation is about Jesus. All right? It's not initially about the early church. It's most certainly not about us. It's 21st century American Christians sitting in this room. The book of Revelation is a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And so God has given Jesus a revelation. Jesus has given this revelation to an angel. The angel has given this revelation to John. John has given the revelation to the early church first, and then by extension, he gives this revelation. To us, and so the book, as you start, as we start to unpack who Jesus is and some of the imagery that's coming to help explain that. Listen, it's going to get weird. Okay, there's a chapter in here. We got a pregnant lady riding on a dragon. The dragon wants to eat the baby. It's going to be, it's going to be a little nuts. All right, if if that ends up being someone's first week, love them well. Okay, whenever <laughs> they're like, what are y'all? Into whenever I have, when I get to preach the park service, the park service that's outside, I get to preach that Revelation 14, and the blood of the unrighteous will be high as a horse's mouth and 200 miles wide. Pray for me, church. That's, <laughs> I've say some direct things out of God's word. That's a heavy one for me to be able to teach. And so we have to understand like what is happening. So there's three big words you're going to see on the screen. Revelation is an apocalyptic prophetic epistle. Apocalyptic prophetic epistle. If you're a note taker, if you're online, thanks for tuning in. Feel free to write that or type that out. Apocalyptic, prophetic epistle. So we're going to start with apocalyptic. Just unpack that for you for just a second. Well, the Greek word for revelation right there that we would see in verse one is apocalypse. Okay. So an apocalyptic is a symbol of the end times. It's imagery of the end times. Something is coming. And so it's going to be kind of artistic in the way that it is talked about. Now within that and with that in mind, revelation is difficult to decipher because revelation at times will simply be symbolism, but sometimes it'll be very literal. 
And so we have to watch what we read as symbolism, and what we read as something that is actual, literal, actual, actually going to happen in the text. An example of this, if I may, is Revelation 1, verse 20. Read this with me, not out loud, but you can follow along with me. It says, as for the mystery of the seven stars, imagery, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my hand and the seven golden lampstands, imagery, the seven stars are literally the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are literally the seven churches. So there are times in the book of Revelation where John, through the power of the Holy Spirit and his written literature, will unpack for us the difference in the two. He'll say, hey, here's some symbolism over here, lampstands, stars, and also that represents something very, very literal that is happening. The church and the whole angelic host that is overseeing the church. John is going to do that with images from Revelation, he's also going to do that using numbers. And so we got to watch getting all weird with numbers, right? Some people, they do that, right? You see people stand up and they have like a cardboard cut out and they're like, the end is near. 22 reasons Jesus is coming in 2022. And just think, nah, bro, that ain't it. That ain't even true. That's not, I think, but you see people out. They do these crazy things. Just, just YouTube. No, matter of fact, don't YouTube anything. Just don't get off YouTube for the foreseeable future in right of Revelation. There's all these numbers that exist in Revelation. They do the same thing. They lay out an apocalyptic image. And so sometimes it's symbolism and sometimes it's very literal. Some of the numbers we'll see are seven. You should be familiar with these if you've been in the church for a while. The number seven, the number 10, the number 12, the number 40, the number 144. And those are all numbers that are used for completion, wholeness, holiness, outside of the book of Revelation as well. And so if you were to think outside of the book of Revelation, we have the seven days of creation. That is the complete creation story, seven days. Not getting into all the literal and figurative. It's saying that creation was complete in seven days. You have the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles that represent that. That is a number of completion there. You have the 10 commandments for the moral law. That's a number of completion. This is what you need to know about morality. You guys still tracking with me? Okay, and so within Revelation, you're going to see 7, 10, 12, 40, 40, 144, which is 12 times 12. And so it's going to get a little weird, but we don't have to make it weird. You get what I'm saying? Like it's going to read a little interesting, but that doesn't mean that we have to read all these things into the text to make the revelation of Jesus something greater than it already is. It's literally the revelation of Jesus, right? To quote Kanye West, you don't need to put any sauce on the word. You just read the word. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to spice it up with anything. Just take the word line by line. He says a lot of outlandish stuff. That's something we can quote in church. Amen? And so <laughs> the great theologian, Kanye West. And so, but he's on to something there. And so even as we get into these, when you're looking at Revelation 120 that we read with lampstands and stars and all these things, the number seven is both literal and also figurative. It is a representation of the whole entire church body, the whole entire angelic host that was represented there in that moment. That is what apocalyptic image does. It, it foreshadows something that's coming. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, cool. The second thing that we'll see then is that Revelation is a prophecy. It is prophetic. It's apocalyptic prophecy. A prophecy is a telling of what's to come. There's something out there in the future that is coming towards us, and we need to kind of keep our eyes peeled for what is coming. Now, the reality is, whenever it comes to biblical prophecy, while we have an idea of what's coming, we are never right about what that thing looks like. And I'll illustrate it, and then I'll tell you how we see that in Scripture. One of the best ways to understand prophecy is to um, think about it like this. How many of you have driven to the mountains? 
One, two, a couple of you. Okay, good. A handful, more than about a quarter of you at least. Okay, if you haven't been to the mountains, let me encourage you. Um, figure out a way to get there. It's an incredible space to go and feel tiny. As you're driving into Colorado, at some point you can start to see the mountains. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And somehow it's still, as you begin to see them, you still have like four hours of travel you have to make and it's super flat and it's like the most boring drive of your life. So all you're doing is just staring at mountains and praying to Jesus that you get there eventually. Well, if you've driven to those mountains, you understand that four hours of travel has to happen from the moment you see them until you actually get to the base of some mountains, right? There's a lot of time, there's a lot of space that has to happen. And then finally, whenever you get to the mountain, it doesn't look anything like what you thought the mountain was going to look like. It no longer looks like this paramount, picture perfect scenery, does it? You get there, and now there's like pine trees and jagged rocks and like all these things. It's, it's, it just it doesn't like have the carve out of it anymore. You're standing in the foothills of the mountain, and you're like, this is different. I didn't see this coming. Now you enter into the mountains. It's windy. It's narrow. It's all these things you're going to travel up. If you travel up, you're going to go up 14,000 feet. Maybe you climbed up a 14er at some point in Colorado, and you look down, and everything that you saw that was once, that once towered over you, now it just looks tiny. These big evergreens looked huge at the base of the mountain, looked like little ants. And you know, you're looking down 10,000 plus feet, and you think, gosh, this is so much better than I thought. Like from four hours ago, I was looking here and I thought, that's going to be glorious. And then you get there and you get motion sickness because you're up really high and it's like really beautiful imagery. And you're like, this is so much better. I couldn't imagine. Well, so it is with biblical prophecy. And so what happens in biblical prophecy is that all throughout the Bible, we'll just sum it up like this. All throughout the Bible, Israel is being promised the Messiah, right? And they're saying, everyone, there's these prophets that are coming, they're reading God's word, they're encouraging them, they're saying, there's a Messiah coming, look out on the horizon, he's coming on the horizon. And what they find out is while they're being promised this mountain, it's not until 2,000 years later, in some cases, 2,500 years, 3,500 years, in some cases, it finally, the mountain shows up. And what does that mountain look like? A baby. And what is the story that they get? Well, this virgin had a conversation with an angel, and then she got pregnant, and then now we have the king of kings. And Who's his dad? Uh, a no-name carpenter. And you're like, well, dang, that doesn't sound very interesting at all. That sounds like a lie, like a scam, right? But then we know, right, as that happens, as the, as the birth happens, baby comes, Christmas story comes, he begins to grow, and what does he do? He performs miracles, and he's walking on water, and he's quieting storms, you're seeing people come to faith, and he's feeding a whole entire multitude, and you think, this must be the mountain, but it's just the base of the mountain, because what happens to him then? He dies. So now, all of their hopes and all their dreams of this mountain are put on a cross, die. Next thing we know, though, happy Easter, resurrection baby, boom, burst out of that tomb, sends the Holy Spirit, Pentecost kicks off, tongues of fire come down, Pastor David mentioned it last week, door swings open, wind rushes in, they think, this must be the mountain, and then he ascends into heaven. <laughs> You're like, maybe it's not the mountain, it's like, but that's biblical prophecy, right? They're promised that this thing is going to happen, and listen, they never get it right. They never get it right. They always are just a little bit off. So it is in the book of Revelation. If we read, I didn't read this a moment ago, if we continue reading Revelation 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Elsewhere, he's going to say the things that are in the things that must soon take place. So there's kind of this dual nature, nature of revelation that exists too, where there are things that are happening in those early churches that he's writing to, and also there are things that are going to happen outside of that early church that he is writing to as well. 
written to them first, written to us by extension, right? We get to be the ones to be the recipients of this now. The third thing then, that we see in the imagery here, or the purpose of the book here, is this. Revelation is an epistle. Revelation is an epistle. It is a letter of encouragement, or you could say a letter of exhortation. There is blessing, there is warning, there is challenge, there's calls to repentance. It is an epistle. Anytime Paul wrote a letter to the early church, that's called an epistle. This is a letter written to the early church, so therefore, and because it's by an apostle, it is an epistle. Let's keep reading then. Revelation 1, second half of Revelation verse 1. He said, he made it known. You can that up there for me. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. Uh, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he sees, all that he saw. Sorry. And then it says, what? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear. And you could say blessed are those who keep what is written in it, for the time is Near. And so this is an epistle. It's written to encourage. He says, blessed are the ones who read it. Blessed are the ones who hear it. Blessed are the one who keeps it. So we are going to then read the book of Revelation, every single word of it, over the next 20 plus weeks. As Brianna said, if you're unable to stand, because there might be two chapters being read in one week, just sit back down. That's okay. We're going to try to stand in reverence to God's word and to receive the blessing that exists in the text that God has for us through his Word, Revelation, is written to be a blessing. Now, not directly in my notes, but I find it fitting to take a moment here and pause. From my understanding, uh, there's been multiple people, to my surprise, that have experienced physical anxiety upon coming into this series. Something I did not foresee happening, but folks within the body, women and men alike in the body. Listen, if you have had a pastor get up and harp on you out of the book of Revelation. They did not do the book justice. Okay, It is an epistle. Are there warnings in the book? Absolutely. Is there a challenge in the book? Most certainly. Is there some really dark, really deep scenery that exists? Yes and amen. And at the same time, church, the book is an epistle. It's meant to leave you encouraged. It's meant to leave you empowered. The whole book has been written to encourage and to inspire, drive, and unction in the early church. The times were harsh enough for the early church. What they did not need was another letter ridiculing them and holding them to the fire while they're literally being lit on fire. That's what's happening in the early church. Right? Think about this. We talk about this quite a bit here at Heights. This is some of the greatest time of persecution that the church has literally ever experienced. You have Christians being put inside of bulls and boiled alive so that their screams would give imagery that the bull was alive itself. Right? You have Christians being impaled with stakes or spears and set on the side of the ground, set on the side of the road, and lit on fire to light up Rome at night. Roman candles is what they were called during the time. And so the Apostle John is not writing this letter to the early church to instill any sort of fear in them. He's writing to them to instill in them empowerment, like unction, passion, drive. He's revealing to them not greater fear, but Jesus. That's the point of the book. It's for whenever they would read it aloud, literally, they would go in circles to different churches. They would open up this scroll, and they would literally read this book out loud in totality to bring um, encouragement to the church body. 
What about that feels like we should just get up every week and just instill fear in you and shame? Does that make any sense, logically? No. Talk to me a little bit. Does that make any sense? No. Way off my notes. And so what we have to do then, at the same time, is we have to make sure that we're not reading our time and our season and our culture into this book. Because what folks will do is they'll come at this and they'll say, no, 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 Revelation, it's very linear. It's all about us. Here's the deal. Revelation is not about the American church. Okay? Do you understand how alienating it would be to even have that as a worldview? Like, think about all the billions of saints that have come before us, how we would immediately ostracize all of them. Think about all the beauty of culture for this God that is the God of all languages and all tribes and all nations. Think about all the culture that we have to dismantle to say, no, 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 this is about me. This is about us. And so folks will come in and they'll say, oh, people storm the Capitol, that Trump, that Biden, that this, that vaccine, that, that's right here. That's the red, Trump's the red dragon. Let that be a soundbite, Facebook, right? And so, but the reality is like you can't Read that into the text. Now, are there things that happen in our history that reveal what's called a sign of the times? Absolutely. COVID-19 could be a part of that. Six million people died. Does that not reveal and instill something in you that says, man, we need Jesus to come back? Absolutely. Now, during the Holocaust, when 11 million Jews are killed over the course of five years, and that's a direct attack on people from Israel, that feels really apocalyptic, doesn't it? It feels like in times. That's a sign of the times. That's the thing that says, yeah, tribulation is most certainly happening. Persecution, most certainly happening. There's some imagery here in Revelation that we can look at that, and we can say, dang, we need Jesus to come back. God, come back swiftly for us. Those are signs of the time. It is not perfectly linear. And so all that say, he's not writing to instill any sort of fear. Hopefully, God, I pray, hopefully over the next 20, 25 weeks, we'll be able to remove some of that fear from some of you as you get a big, beautiful, audacious picture of who this Jesus is. John is rather, he's writing, he's saying, I'm in the fire literally with you as he's in exile. Revelation 1.9 says this, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, he's being, he's in the tribulation, in the suffering with them, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance, they all go together, there, that, that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so he's saying, he's not coming to, dis, uh, to dismantle all that Jesus has done for the early church. He's saying, I'm right there with you. I'm in the persecution. I'm in the tribulation. I've been exiled from my proclamation of God's word and the gospel. I'm writing to empower you. That's what an epistle does. It encourages. It empowers. It instills in us drive, unction, passion, right? Not just to hold the line, church, but to storm the gates of hell with the passion of Christ because he wins. That's what it does. When we look at this Jesus, there's nothing in us that should belittle us. If anything, it should ignite in us, man, this passion it comes from God's word. The persecution during their time, I find it fitting uh, to share this, was so intense that in, during the year that I guess you could say that this letter was in circulation, three of the primary apostles end up getting killed. Peter, James, and John, if I'm not mistaken. They get killed by the government when John is, as John is writing this, and then he's gonna, later he's going to die eventually, right? He's on an island in exile. And so uh, Matt Chandler said, the equivalent of what it would have been like to be the early church during this time in light of how the government treated the church would be the equivalent if Tim Keller, John MacArthur, and John Piper were all publicly executed on national TV. That's what it would feel like. 
If you don't know who those people are, you could say maybe Francis Chan, Matt Chandler, insert some predominant Christian figure. I don't know if there's kids in here or not, so I'll keep it PG. Executed on public television. Right? He doesn't need to write to instill fear. He writes to instill encouragement and purpose for the people. The purpose of the book was not to scare them. It was scary enough. <laughs> the times were scary enough. Got it? So if you found yourself anxious about Revelation due to some previous teaching, I'm just, I'll be praying that the Lord would just undo that for you. So as we continue then, let me ask you this question. Actually, you know what? Let me read. I'm going to switch it up. Let me read this for you. Revelation 1.12 says this. Mark read this, and I want to read it in light of empowerment and encouragement. It says this. Revelation 1.12-19 said this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. This is John. And on turning, I saw, we've talked about this a little bit, seven golden lampstands, the church, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, that'd be Jesus, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Think about that for just a second. Imagine he goes to talk and your whole entire chest begins to rumble. And not only that, but the very foundations that your feet are touching. Just with a word begins to rumble. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth. Sorry, comma. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Come on now. When he laid his right hand on me, sorry, but he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and I am the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are right now and those that are to take place in the future after this. Think about this. In light of encouragement and empowerment, is there anything in there that would lead you to fear anything other than the presence of Jesus himself? Like when, you, like when we sit in this and we get to read this, we get to see this beautiful picture of completion, of holiness in Christ. That's the whole purpose of what John is using there in the imagery. But then you physically think about John is looking at this and he falls as though dead as Mark took us through. And so I would ask the question to you, I think it's the right question now, when is the last time you looked upon Jesus' face and just fell prostrate on the ground? Like when's the last time that like, you went to prayer, man, I don't know, put your head underneath the blanket or the pillow or you got alone in your house or maybe it was on a Sunday in the middle of a worship service and as you were asked or invited into prayer, like this was the picture that you saw. Like this was the revelation that came before your eyes. This fiery-eyed, snow-white hair Jesus pulling the word of his, out of his mouth. That's what that means. He's pulling out the word of God, the word that has put on flesh, is standing in victory literally over every single aspect of creation, over all of the cosmos. It is this Jesus that stands in victory. And not only is he standing in victory, but he's saying, I got the keys to this thing. I've got the keys to Hades and to death. He doesn't say, I'm going to go get the keys. He doesn't say, hey, I hope to acquire the keys. He doesn't say, hey, can I get the combination to the lockbox to get those keys out? He says, no, I was dead and I'm resurrected in death. I have put death to death. In my resurrection, I've put death to death. I have the keys. What does he say? Fear not. 
You see how revelation, like, it encourages, it inspires. If we believe this to be true, I have the keys to death and hate. He says, right there for what you have seen. He's not saying, I hope that this is going to happen. He says, no, this is the way the story ends. Here's the way it's going to end for you. It's going to end in a triumphant victory where King Jesus will stand over sin and death with all of the tribes hailing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty forevermore and will never grow bored of it. That's what he says right there. So when you read that and you think, dang, that gives me some encouragement. Yeah, like it gives me, I have chills right now and all I did was read it. I didn't do anything. I'm just reading it, right? And even in that, you see, it's apocalyptic. It has some imagery. It has prophetic. These are things that are going to come. But most certainly, it is an epistle. It's encouraging to our souls. My gosh. I fought all week this week to figure out how can I put something on Facebook about what happened in Texas. Our third grader became a fourth grader. And so that just hits a little different now as a parent, you know? It's like, what do you, what do, you do? What do you... What do you share? How do you bring encouragement? It's just right here in Revelation. I hold the keys to death and Hades. Do the effects of sin still exist? Yes and amen. Is there still a triumphant Jesus is resurrected as Lord over everything? Yes and amen. He holds the keys of victory. Listen, is this fiery-eyed Jesus right here in the text enough to sustain you, church? If your fourth grader doesn't come home, is it enough to sustain you? You guys know our story. If maybe it ends up being your pseudo kid that might have been the one holding a gun, is he enough to sustain you? Multiple anniversaries this week. Andrew and I celebrating 12 years today, and the nails are celebrating, officiated a wedding this weekend and just a few days ago. Whenever your marriage loses passion, is this fiery eyed Jesus of the text, is he enough to sustain you? Whenever you don't get the job that you applied for, Whenever you get the medical results that you were most certainly not longing for, like we've had that in our church this week, is this Jesus sufficient? Is this the Jesus that you see? Let me tell you what. If there's a different Jesus that exists in your head when you go to prayer and you enter into those moments that is less than this, that Jesus is not sufficient to sustain you. Like This is the Jesus that we get to see. It is this Jesus that stands over heaven, over earth, and he has the keys to literally all of it. And he's inviting us through the book of Revelation to be able to come before him and catch a glimpse as to who he actually is in our lives. Not so that we would just be like, dabble with him on a Sunday and then bump on for the rest of the week, but so that we might fall dead before him. It's not an invitation to fall dead. It is the only proper response when you come before this Jesus. This is what we're called to. When you get this Jesus in your mind, in your eyes, when you're standing in your room and you're praying to this Jesus and you feel the heat off the seraphim angel's wings, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what we should be praying for. We should pray, as we're going to read Isaiah in a minute, the the train of his robe is going to fill the temple. When we go to prayer as a church, we should pray that the train of this Jesus' robe is suffocating to us in this room. Like We're going to read about the smoke of his presence filling up the temple. We should pray that it would be hard to breathe when we come in here to worship. Right? Whenever the angel comes in a moment, he touches Isaiah's coal, we should pray that we could smell the smell of burnt flesh off our body while he's redeeming us. That's what Revelation does. Anything lesser than that, church, you are not reading the same book as me. It's a wildly different book. I'm going to read Isaiah to you. I just gave it all away, but we're going to read God's word. It does a better job than Corey. So Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. Let 
it encourages you. Matter of fact, stand with me while we read it. I'll just read this, and then we'll do communion. This is Isaiah's vision of the Lord, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. This is the same Jesus that's in Revelation, just revealed in a different book. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, it's Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. If you need to shut your eyes and gain this imagery, go for it. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Listen here now. And the train of his robe filled the temple. May his train suffocate us today, church. And we feel the weight of it in this moment. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. This is an angelic host. He has six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. The presence of Jesus was so intense that the seraphim angels couldn't even look upon him. Had to literally cover their faces, cover their body from the presence of their king setting before him. And one called to another and he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is just what they're singing together in the kingdom. They're just shouting it back and forth to one another. Like a game of volleyball. They're just kind of cadencing it back and forth to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, or I am dead proper, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean limbs. And for my eyes have seen the king. Like, come on, somebody. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim angels flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. Like, think about the gospel with me for just a minute. Like, this is the king that left his kingdom, like, left that to come dwell among humanity to come dwell among the, the peasants, the servants, so to speak. What king do you know? Let me ask you, what president's ever sat in our White House to be willing to literally die to atone for its nation, his nation, her nation? Not one. There are kings that have reigned, and there's kings that will come, and kings that will go, and I'll tell you this, there's only one king that's willing to do the work necessary to atone for your sin. There's only one king that's really willing to surrender every single rich that he has so that he can dwell among humanity, be mocked and made fun of because he's born into a family that literally has no name, only to be put on a cross and resurrect and send his very power to you, usher his own self into the kingdom, and then continue ruling and reigning. Why? So you can come back and collect us. There's only one who's willing to atone. This is that king. This is him. And the book of Revelation is just going to reveal them over and over and over again. And so I would say this, as we enter into communion, okay, listen, if your vision for Jesus has been any less than what John has said in Revelation or Isaiah has said in the book of Isaiah, I want you to plead with the Father to reveal the Son to you. Like, I want you to plead with Him. Right, shut your eyes and, and get with Him and say, this is a Jesus that I need to see. I want to see this fiery-eyed Jesus that atones. I want to see this fiery-eyed Jesus that redeems. I want to see the Jesus that is really, literally willing to stop at nothing to redeem me. And then I want you to take those silly little communion cups and feast on them. It'll take just a second, but it'll be worth it. Because that 
communion cup in that moment, right, it reveals who this Jesus is, what he's willing to do, and the reality, as we'll get to in Revelation later, how it's going to look like in eternity with him forever at the Messianic banquet. It'll be far more than packaged communion, right? The best of meats, the finest of wines. He will greet us in the clouds and invite us into his kingdom forevermore. But if your vision of him has been smaller, church, plead with him. Ask him to make that vision for you bigger. Let me read you from 1 Corinthians. And further prepare your heart here. Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, this king of kings was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, sorry, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen, every week we take communion, we proclaim the book of Revelation. Every single week we proclaim that Jesus wins, his victory is triumphant over sin and death, and we've been called to rest in that. May communion encourage you and empower you this morning as the guys close us out.